0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Hi. Hi,
0: I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Fence with the PH. Hey,
2: Chris, you with us? Yes. All right guys, we're uh we're coming to you live tonight without um Kevin. He had to take care of some uh, personal business. He's going to be out most of the evening. Uh Keith should be joining us here shortly. Um I guess I'm going to turn things over to you now, Chris, so we get Keith. He's trying to get the post up. We're we're all scrambling with uh Hold on, he's asking me for all kinds of help here, so uh Sorry folks, I know it sounds like we don't know what we're doing and partially that's because we don't. All right, so am I on now? You are on. We are on the air, sir.
1: <clears throat>
2: I don't know that anyone knows we're on the air because we're still trying to get this up and running, but uh we are on the air.
3: Hey, that'll work. Then catch later. All right, well this is the um Insider Podcast. I'll let uh, James turn a little bit. He can go over all the call-in stuff, numbers and all that. I don't have that available. But go ahead and get started. We can talk about uh, the upcoming game against Baltimore. Um, most fans would not have thought going into uh, the game against Baltimore that Miami would be uh, sitting at 3-1 and one, uh, with wins over the Colts. Uh, the surprisingly, uh, good Cleveland Browns team and uh the Atlanta Falcons who most people expected to be most people expected to be a uh, a Super Bowl contender. Um, excuse me, so um you know it's kind of a a different feeling. Most people again thought we would have been coming in two two and two at best. More like one and three or so or three and one. So uh kind of, I don't want to say a lot riding on this game. Uh, even with the loss, we're still at three and two going into the bye week. We're going to face some weaker teams now, like uh, some division opponents that are playing decently but not quite as good as as uh, I don't think Dolphins are. So, then it's surprising teams like the Steelers who are usually fairly
2: good but just aren't, aren't getting it done this year. It's like that every year, though. There's there's the ones that fall, mm-hmm. fall off the face of the, the planet and those that rise up, like Kansas City. You mm-hmm. know, who, who saw that coming?
3: Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people, as far as Kansas City goes, I think a lot of people expected them to turn around a little bit simply because of the, the amount of talent on that team. Um, they had a good defense or at least some good players on defense, uh, some good offensive players. It's never seemed to catch the breaks last year, and I think they are. And granted, you know, maybe this is just the Dolphins fan coming out in me, but they've not really played any really good teams yet. The, the best team that they've played is the Dallas Cowboys, and they are, uh, I believe, 2 and 2. Um, so they've, played, they've beaten the uh, completely horrible Jacksonville Jaguars. They've beaten the surprisingly awful New York Giants. Both of those teams have not won a game yet. They beat the. Eagles, who for the most part played one one good half of football all season, uh, and happened to to win against a division opponent that haven't played very well either, and so the uh, the combined win total that the Chiefs teams have had is three wins. I read a tweet today that said the Dolphins are the only team in the NFL that have a winning record that have played who's combined now let me let me rephrase that. <clears throat> the Dolphins are the only team in the NFL who are who are above five hundred whose
2: opponents
3: are also uh cumulative, cumulatively above five hundred.
2: Right. We're the only winning team that's winning <coughs> against other winning teams, basically. Yeah. So More uh, like. the only
3: the only team that we've not that doesn't have a winning record are the Falcons. But if you look at the Falcons, they've lost two they uh, they lost to the four and Saints, they lost to the four and Patriots, the three and one Dolphins, and they beat the Rams. So um the teams that they faced that they've lost to were appear to be good teams. So it's not like they've gone out and, and just laid an egg out there. So um and they're a tough they're a tough opponent and most people would consider them uh, a tough opponent, so You know, things are looking good, but uh, going into this game, I think it's a little more uh, surprising that, you know, Baltimore, who's coming off a Super Bowl championship, has not played up to the standard that a lot of people thought they would. Um, And it's really coming off a game in which Joe Flacco... um, Threw five interceptions against the Bills, um, and, and just kind of looked really bad. Their offense kind of looks was, was bad. They um, they ran the ball like nine times the entire game, and a part of me wants to wants to question if if the Ravens because of Joe Flacco's uh, you know kind of historic playoff run last year if they didn't kind of jump the gun a little bit overpay him and now are trying to justify that contract by having him throw the ball 50 times a game Um, you know I don't think most general managers want to go out there and pay their quarterback that kind of money and then only have him throw 25 times a game it, you know, even if it's even if it's a winning formula, you can't justify, in my opinion, it would be tough for them to justify that kind of paying a quarterback you know, twenty million dollars a year to uh, hand the ball off a lot. And so, I'm, I'm wondering if some of that, some of their struggles is, is coming down to the fact that they are, it's a pride thing, and most people will. You, you know, I think there's a. Kind of a, a thing going around amongst fans. There are certain GMs that are just so much better than everybody else. And considering that Miami's general manager has, you know, been on the hot seat, there you know at least been under fire from fans. That you have a guy like. Um,
2: There's some fans that don't like Jeff Ireland.
3: Yeah, that's kind of shocking. But
2: no, everyone that, everyone that's loves breaking
3: news. That is breaking news. Sorry.
2: Yes, and, um, and the, the other breaking news is, as you can hear, Keith is on the line with us now. Welcome, Keith. Hi, I am, and
0: uh, I'm I'm in for Kevin tonight, uh, who had something come up. So I just want to interrupt briefly and say that um, uh, you can give us a call at three four seven three two six nine four six one for the Insider Podcast. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm gonna be taking Twitter questions tonight, but it's gonna be on my Twitter, because I don't have access to Kevin's, Uh, I haven't figured out his code yet, I'm assuming it's something along the lines of guest, but uh, in the meantime, if you want to go ahead and tweet me, it's my old uh, screen name, which is KMB8488, tweet me any uh, questions you have, and we'll we'll get those mentioned uh, on tonight's tonight's podcast, Uh, without further ado, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, continue talking about uh, how amazing Jeff Ireland is.
3: Well, yeah, I was uh what I was leading that up to is that you know, a lot of people give you know, people say, Well, Ozzy Newsom is this great general manager and he's kinda you know, a lot of these these guys, you know, catch breaks when they make bad decisions. So I read I read something on I on either ESPN or something earlier this year that said they believe that the Ravens may have jumped the gun a little bit and they should have franchise, put the franchise tag on Joe Flacco, and see how they did this year before offering the long-term contract. You know, Joe Flacco did the right thing. He went out in the playoffs last year, threw up a a playoff run that's only been rivaled by guys like Joe Montana. He earned. You know, he he didn't take the contract earlier in the year. He bet on himself and won. Now the Ravens are kind of paying for it. So, I'll ask that to you guys. Do you think that? that that contract is, is playing a part of what we're seeing from their offense, that he's, you know, my fantasy team was, was screaming at the fact that Ray Rice only had like four or five touches last game. So, you know, when you've got a, a weapon like that, do you think that that they are not running the ball as much and trying to throw the ball just – for their own pride purposes to say, hey, we paid Joe Flacco this money, and here's the reason why he hear go out and throw the ball 50 times a game.
0: I don't know if they're chasing uh, the, the pass because of the money they gave him, but uh, just if you can put everything else aside, because a lot of people are coming out right now saying hindsight, hindsight is uh 20 in terms of the money they gave Joe Flacco. What I would say is what everyone said at the time paid Joe Flacco that, that money, which was record-setting at that at that moment is you knew it was going to handcuff them in terms of addressing the rest of the team. They pretty much said it themselves, and you're seeing that right now. And, I mean, people talk about Ozzie Newsom, but Ozzie Newsom is not a perfect GM. Ozzie Newsom, as of late, has had uh, numerous biffs. Uh, imagine if, uh, when people wanted Jeff Ireland to draft Sergio Kindle a few years ago, when it really would have been Parcells and Jeff Ireland if we're if we're keeping the narrative straight. But imagine if we had done that. Because, I mean, that guy uh, eventually was released. He had a horrible accident right after, and it just never played out. I mean, that's not Ozzie Newsom's fault, but, I mean, that's something where people make it seem like everything he spends turns to gold, and that's not not necessarily the case. And the Flacco contract was something where it's funny because uh, they win the Super Bowl, and then they gave not just franchise quarterback caliber money, uh, like legend caliber money, you know you. I mean you could uh, you could see Aaron Rodgers getting that kind of money. You can see Drew Brees getting that kind of money. But I mean, yeah, I mean Joe Flacco was very good last year. But we've seen playoff runs before where guys were just unconscious. You know, yeah, I mean you've seen Matt Ryan play at a caliber near near that before. Does that mean that he's worth that money too? I don't think so. And I mean, it's something where they felt compelled to pay him that kind of money. And right or wrong, You knew at the time that that when you pay, when you give up that amount of bread to one player, I mean, you're asking for it in terms of the rest of the team. And I granted, if you're going to pay anyone that kind of money, it should be your quarterback. But I mean, that was that was a staggering contract. And I mean, like, I I mean, I don't want to belittle the the Ravens for giving him that because really, it was a show of loyalty. They, it was them following up on what they had told him the previous off season, which was uh, show us show us the victories, we'll show you the money, and they did that. So I mean, I give props to Steve Fischetti and Adi Newsom for really making that happen. But it, it is a business still, and I mean, loyalty is a great thing to have. But I mean, you have to have a brain that goes. Up. You have to have some some. Sense and it's strange because those guys are notorious for being very shrewd when it comes to that kind of stuff. I, mean, those guys, I don't know what that's all about, but
1: uh,
3: so well, I mean, and, and, and I, I see where you're going with that. And I think part of the issue is that I um, have something I read, and I think I talked about on the last podcast about uh, they, an agent said he he feels that the trend in the NFL now is that. The, there's a middle class of players that are going to be ignored for uh, a few really high-paid players and rookies and lower-paid players. And, you know, these these midterm free agents that we've seen in years past are going to start going away because teams are like, why can I pay, you know, linebacker X over here this amount of money when I can – Draft linebacker Y over here and pay him peanuts. And I think part of the issue with with the Ravens is that yeah they had to give they had to give Flacco a bunch of money, but they just took so many losses that they couldn't replace in a short amount of time. I mean, you look at you know you look at the, their options, um you know. You know, people talk about the Patriots' lack of receivers, but you know the the the, the Ravens are kind of in the same boat. They have Torrey Smith and 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 just some guys, um, you know. And then Dennis Pitta got hurt, which you can't see that, but they didn't. You know, they didn't really have a backup plan. And I think that's where you know I think the NFL is going for that now. The general managers are going to have to be really shrewd when it comes to drafting guys. That you're going to have to be able to the successful teams are going to be the ones that miss less on draft picks because they, you know, they let guys go in free agency and now they're bringing in new talent to replace the formerly expensive <laughs> guys. And and I think, you know, like you're talking about with Sergio Kendall and some of these other players, it's just they've not drafted enough talent around here to, to be able to withstand the type of losses and at the same time Joe Flacco is not a – High enough caliber quarterback to overcome the lack of depth. I mean, if you had, you know, Tom Brady or Peyton Manning on that team, you could see, you know, you could see maybe them doing, you know, being a little better. But I don't think he's at that he's at that level. And so, I think you're kind of seeing, you know, some of that, you know, where they are really thin in different areas. And. um you know, so yeah, I, I can see what you're saying there about you know them giving him the money, and they probably needed to do that. But you know, I think just the fact that it's gonna probably going to take them a couple of years, in my opinion, to get back to being a a Super Bowl-contending caliber team because they're going to have to be able to bring in players through the draft that they just can't do in one season.
0: We'll shift the uh, focus a little bit a little bit, not still talking about the Ravens, but uh, in your guys' opinion, what do the Dolphins need to do on Sunday that they didn't do uh, against the Saints in order to win? What's the one thing they have to fix? I mean, you could say a few things, but the, the absolute number one thing they have to do if they, want to, if they want to leave Sun Life with a victory on Sunday.
3: I think we, we kind of covered it a little bit on Wednesday night. And that's I think the offense needs to be a little more creative, that they cannot – you know, Baltimore is a – you know, despite their offense and all this sort of stuff, they're still a, a pretty good defensive team. And, you know, they held Denver in check for at least one half. Um, so they're not a bad defensive team. And if they are allowed to – if our offense goes up there and stays the kind of cookie-cutter, cardboard, bland offense that it's been – you know that that's going to cause problems, and it's going to affect. You know, we might see more three and outs, and our offense is not going to get going. As well, I think our defense can be can play well against the Ravens at some point. Our offense is going to have to, to to kick it up a notch, and we saw that Monday night. You know, we cannot we cannot get into a a shootout with teams. So I think that we need to see. You know. Let's move Mike Wallace around a little bit. Let's uh, let's run some different plays. He's big, use again, like we did. Let, let's try to mix it up a little bit and keep the offense where the Ravens can't key in on one thing or or um, dictate what the offense does. If we can do that, then I think if we can if, if our offense can do that, then I think that will set our defense up to to uh, maintain a, a lead that we can build. The side note to that is our offensive line really has to protect Tannehill this game because they're going to come after him, and they are out of the weak link on the team, I think, and the Ravens have some good pass rushers. So that's going to be, you know, we can try to mix plays up and things like that, but it's not going to matter if, if we can't protect. So
0: I'm not excited about the idea of Jonathan Martin taking on Terrell Suggs.
3: I will tell you that. Or if they
0: move Terrell Suggs around, I'm not excited about him taking on Tyson Clabo. If if they want to get creative, uh, and I agree that pass pass protection just has to happen at this point. And it's like we said on Wednesday, it's not any one point right now. It's not any one position that needs to be stored up. There has to be. I mean, it's a zone blocking scheme. It's about communication. It's about working in tandem. Those things, and you just you're not really seeing that from the Dolphins right now. Uh, it really in both phases. I mean, it seems like they're struggling in pass pro, and they just haven't been getting the push in the run game that you'd like to see. And so you know, you're looking at uh, a situation where the, the Dolphins are coming in, they need to pass for type better. Uh, I'm hoping at some point they start putting Mike Wallace in motion. You and I talked about that last night. I mean, I keep watching. It. It's like they're they're lining them up wide. I'm like, why throw them in the slot? Move them around. Put them in motion. Do something. Because the thing is, I mean, it's – I mean, like you said, creativity is key at this point, and they need to be more creative with Mike Wallace. I think they owe him that.
3: Yeah, I I agree 100% with that. It's it's easy for a defense to kind of key on what the offense is doing when you're not mixing things up. And, you know, I don't know who it was that I read that mentioned, you know – People talk about, or people have talked about in, in the preseason uh, and the off-season that we're bringing in these types of players to create mismatches, and, and we want certain types of receivers that can move around and do different things, yet we don't do that. We don't see Mike Wallace or Hartline lining up in the slot, or we don't see Brandon Gibson lining that wide or whatever. We just don't see these different matchups. It's kind of like you just expect to see the same kind of plays over and over and over again. And so you guys, um, conference.
0: just to jump in real quick, uh, if you guys want to jump in on the conversation? Uh, give us a call three four seven three two six nine four six one. Hit us up. We'll uh we'll get you on air. We'll actually James will get you on air. and then uh, we'll uh we'll have one great big chat about whatever it is you want to talk about. Proceed.
3: Yeah, I think uh, you know, we're just gonna to have to be more creative on offense, and it starts with Mike Wallace. Um, that, you know, you need to, uh, you know, let's see the, let's see the, you know, bring the offense out, let the Ravens get in their defensive set and, and slide him over in the slot, maybe get him matched up against a linebacker or a safety or someone else that's going to cause uh, some some matchup problems there. We're not at this point. And, you know, we've played, we've played well into the first few games. And I think we saw in New Orleans they were able to take away what Tannehill originally wanted to do, and our offense kind of sputtered a little bit. Um, And then it got to the point where we were so far behind that we became one-dimensional, and that just made it worse. So um, one other thing I want to point out is that in the first four games we played, uh, I believe it's. Jordan Cameron, is that the is that the tight end or is that the defensive end? Oh, is,
0: the defensive end is Cameron Jordan. Okay, so, so we'll you play get Jordan it right, tight
3: that. Jordan Cameron, Cody <laughs> <Kobe> Schleiner, <clears throat> uh, Tony Gonzalez, and Jimmy Graham in the first four weeks. This week we get a an old Dallas Clark. So. If we cannot stop an old Dallas Clark, then we're just not going to be able to stop tight ends ever again. It's just just write it down in stone. <laughs> because, you know, you can say, well, the Dolphins have been covering tight ends. Well, you know, nobody's covered Jimmy Graham this year. Nobody's really covered Jordan Cameron this year. Um, we did a decent job against... Um, against Gonzalez, but, you know, he went off, he got to the point that the, the Patriots were having to put two people on him and pretty much tackle him with the line of scrimmage at the end of the game. Toby um, winners played well. So, you know, maybe it's just we've had this stretch where we've played some really good tight ends. So, I think we're going to see how our coverage looks against against average tight ends because at this point I believe that's what Dallas Clark is, is an average tight end. He's not the weapon that he used to be. So, if we can limit what he does, you know, and I'm not talking about just one big play or something. I mean, if he goes out there and gets, you know, eight catches or something, we're really in trouble. But if he goes out there and gets, you know, three or four catches and that's it, you know, I think we can – maybe we can chalk up the first four games of tight end coverage as just playing some really good tight ends. I think it's
0: a, it's a favorable matchup for us in terms of Dallas Clark. Uh, and I, I, mean, Jimmy Graham is. I don't even think of him as really a tight end anymore. He's just, he's just a receiving weapon uh, of intense magnitude, really. I mean, the guy is just devastating. you see, I mean, you can, you can flex him out, and I mean, he's just, he's a. In terms of the jump ball, I don't know if there's a, a pass catcher in the NFL better at it. It's just, I mean, it's death from above with that guy. I mean, you put the ball in the air, and you just you can let him go get it. Maybe Calvin Johnson's up there, too. But I think, like, I was, I Graham's overall length and his his basketball nature, I mean, he's just like he's just a box-out champ. I mean, he's fantastic. So I wasn't surprised to see him have that kind of success. I mean, he made some great plays, too. Uh, and the funny thing is, of all the tight ends we've played, we've had success against arguably the, the greatest ever play in, in Tony Gonzalez which is, I mean, just close to show. I mean, Kobe Fleary, I mean, definitely got his against us, and Cameron had a touchdown, too. I mean, Jordan Cameron has just been on fire this year. I mean, he's on he's on my fantasy team in my other league. I know how good he is because he's been putting out monstrous points. So, I mean, it would be nice to get get more, uh, I guess, toward, maybe toward the middle of the curve with Dallas Clark. I don't want to be demeaning or anything, but, I mean, he has been in the league 10 years. So, Something to consider. Uh, uh, one question I have, and then we'll kind of move on because I want to talk about some league-wide things, too. Uh, that touchdown that Tannehill threw the other night, the one, the, the Charles Clay, where he just really just dropped it in the bucket. In, in a game where things aren't going well and he throws down a play like that, is does that give you confidence moving forward that that guy has the kind of focus where he can get it done when, when things are ugly? Because I mean that was that was a, an outstanding throw. That's a throw that I'm going to say about half of the league's quarterbacks would struggle to make.
3: Okay, well you're going to make me have to go pull up uh, the video on uh, NFL.com, but you know we've seen we've seen those types of throws from him. I mean I think mean, you and know, I discussed before the uh, the the throw last year in the Bills game to Reggie Bush. Where Reggie runs out on the wheel route uh, and this Hill drops it, I mean, it, there's he could not have made that pass any any better. It was exactly where it needed to be. And you know, you watch some of these other throws and we we've seen some things from him like that. You know, and I've I've, I've I've been reading tweets this week about how you know he had the four turnovers, and that's got to cut down. But let's be realistic, the the first turnover, the fumble, you know that that one and the first interception were key plays. The last interception was completely irrelevant. It was at the end of the game. We could not win. His arm was hit. It's not like he. It was a bad read or something like that. The other one, he threw behind Wallace, but the ball got tipped up in the air and someone picked it off. So I'm they go against his they go against his statistics. And it's going to look bad, but I'm not going to hold those two picks against him necessarily. Simply because, yeah, they were bad plays, but at the same time, it, I don't think those were those interceptions. Like that's what killed us. But at the same time, I think that my thought process goes back to the whole offense. I think he's just right now he's kind of being limited with with the kind of things he can do because the play calling and and the offense itself is just kind of you know, it's just kind of bland. And adding the fact that he's he doesn't seem to have a lot of time to throw and when guys are covered, he can't you know, he it can it's hard for him to find another open guy because of the way things are going. I think if we allow the offense to open up a little bit, I think we're gonna see more of what Ryan Tannehill can do. I think we've seen some flashes on him in 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 the first Part of the season where he can make great throws, he makes good decisions. You know, there are a few hiccups here and there, but he he, he looks like he's developing into a a you know a positive uh, you know a franchise type guy. I think it's interesting that when you watch or after that Monday night game, you didn't have a lot of people, even with the national media, saying like. Well, you know, he's not Andrew Luck or whatever. She thought, you know, he's, he he was a bad game, but Antonio's going to be a good player. You know, so it's kind of like he he he's made a name for himself, and he he's starting to prove himself to the people. So yeah, throws like that. When you see those things, I think it you know it, it it gives hope that he can be the franchise guy. I I, I just uh, honestly I believe that there are more factors involved that are limiting him right now than just what he's doing, and 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 I do believe I don't know if it was on the side or whatever else I read but I do believe that the Dolphins are three and one, and Tannehill has carried the team to that record. I don't believe this was kind of how we envisioned winning games. I think most people kind of expected you know him to be more of a game manager to start with. Let's run the ball. Our defense is going to be stout, I and mean, it's, it's been anything but that. It has been the games we've won games we've been close in, whatever. Tannehill has kept us in that position. Um, And I think that says a lot.
0: Uh, Sticking with Tannehill, but kind of shifting focus a little bit, uh, you guys both saw the the game last night between Cleveland and Buffalo. Uh, Both starting quarterbacks, E.J. Manuel and Brian Hoyer, were injured on running plays. Uh, Really, you know, quarterback running plays. Hoyer tore his ACL. He's out for the year. Um, Manuel's got an LCL sprain. He's going to be out for a few weeks. Uh, Does that cause alarm for you guys in that uh, a lot of people are asking Ryan Tannehill to run more?
3: Well, I've said it before. I'm not a fan of it. You know, I mean, things happen. I mean, I believe Dante Culpepper's knee blew up because he, he was scrambling out of the pocket and just got hit funny. I don't think it was a designed run, if I remember correctly. It's been a million years ago. But, you know, if, if Andy Hill got that big run Monday night, the read option played. But at the same time, you know, quarterbacks are going to do that. Andrew Luck does it. Everyone does it. Um, you know, some of the older guys don't do it. But Aaron Rodgers does it. All these guys, they have to get out and run a little bit. So it's going to happen. I don't want to make it a feature part of my offense. I don't want that to be something that is going to happen a lot. You know, if Tannehill gets, you know, four scrambles a game, that's one thing. I don't want to see him getting designed runs For the simple reasons, exactly what happened Thursday night. I mean, Brian Hoyer, when I first saw it live, I thought, man, that looked kind of bad as he was getting ready to slide. But the more, the more I watched it, I mean, the linebacker, he was running straight toward him. He hit him right as he was getting ready to slide, so he couldn't couldn't have let up, and it was just a bad situation. So here, the Dolphins are let's say it's Sunday's game, we're leading, you know, we're hoping to head to the bye week, four and one, things are looking up. Suddenly, he runs out to the outside and gets drilled, and something like that happens. I mean, I mean, what does that do to your season? I mean, yeah, we believe Matt Moore can win some games, but. You know, in my opinion, if if he scrambles, and has to scramble. That's one thing. If if you're running design plays, leave that stuff at the house, man. <laughs>
0: James,
2: what do you think? Run him less? Run him more? I think they need to roll him out to take some of the pressure off him because the way the lines playing, they're going to get him killed either way. But yeah, I don't like I don't like see him running around since he doesn't know how to slide half the time. He, take, he takes he takes so too many chances.
0: Yeah, I mean he needs to reel it in a little bit. Do you guys think that Brandon Whedon kind of came of age a little bit last night? Because I mean the thing is he comes into that game and he's getting his ears boxed and then he manages to put it together and get Cleveland out of there with a win. And granted, it didn't hurt that Buffalo's quarterback. I think what uh, 18 plays and how many yards did they have? 14 14 yards until that last possession, which ended in, uh, which ended the game. So, I mean, is that guy I mean, are we calling him a bus
3: yet? Well, I don't know, I don't know that I would say that he, he came of age, but I will say that because of Hoyer's injury, he gets, basically he's getting a one-year or a, uh, a, an 11-game, I can't think of the word I'm trying to use here. Audition? Yes, thank you. An 11-game audition for whoever picks him up next year. Um, You know, and heck, for all we know, he he goes out and wins more games than they make the playoffs. So I don't know. He, He made some good throws, but you know, I was kind of watching a little bit of the game and doing some other things, and I was kind of keeping up with it on Twitter a little bit, and you know, a lot of people, a lot of people get upset with Tannehill saying he holds the ball too long, which I kind of disagree with. But if you watch the game, he does hold the ball too long, and I think he's just—I think right now his confidence level is kind of down, um, and he's not—you know—I he, don't think he's trusting what what he what's going on in the offense. You know, I think a good quarterback has to kind of know what's going on. And be able to anticipate throws, and part of that comes with just comfortability. And I don't think he has that now. I think he's in that kind of rookie mentality of I want to, I need to see a guy open before I throw him the ball. But, but then again, I mean, he was making some big time throws. I mean, that that touchdown to uh, uh, to Gordon, well, you know, well, that was a, that was a tough throw to make, and, and it, he dropped it in perfectly. So, hopefully, he will. You know, it would be nice if. if uh, he could he he could step up and and uh you know take that take that franchise quarterback mantle back that the that the Cleveland Browns wanted him to take. Uh maybe that benching and you know from everything that I remember from the draft I don't think Whedon was a guy who felt entitled. I mean I mean the guy tried to make it major league baseball and failed out of that so he knows kinda of how things happen in sports. So um I think that he's going to be a hard worker. I, you know, hopefully he'll be able to, to get it turned around there because you, know, uh, you know that will just you know that that's a kind of a sad little franchise. And it'd be nice for him to have something positive for a change.
0: Yeah, I agree. It, it, it'd be nice to see them winning. I mean, I think the same about Oakland. It's weird
2: that you have these
0: at one time these cornerstone NFL franchises that are just you know uh, just Habitual losers at this point You know Cleveland's expected to be terrible All the time Oakland is expected to be Terrible so I mean It's it's nice to To think that We can see these teams win you know I'm not a fan of either team obviously But I mean I don't want to see them terrible all The time I think the NFL Is better off with those teams playing well Just like the NFL is better off with you know Green Bay Playing well and the, having the Cowboys in there instead of the Uh, even though we enjoy watching Jerry Jones play doormat every year. I mean, it is fun. But uh, one thing I want to ask you guys, uh, we're coming into week five here after last night's game. You think this is a three-horse race between New Orleans, Denver, and Seattle, or do you think that something's got to give and we're going to see other teams rise up while one of those one of the the aforementioned teams kind of fought, you think one of them will fall by
3: the wayside? Um, well, I don't know if they'll fall by the wayside, but, I mean, you cannot, I don't care how well Peyton Manning is playing right now, you cannot look at a Peyton Manning-led team and not be concerned that it's going to somehow fail in the playoffs. I mean, when you look at everything that he's done, when his career over, all the records or whatever he's going to have, the one thing that's going to be glaring is, yeah, he did win a Super Bowl, but all of just the the playoff failures that he has, I mean, you look at last year and what happened, and who's to say that some teams not going to get hot at the end of the year and, you know, and, and go in there and, and light them up or, um, you know, shut them down somehow, so you know, as far as the other two teams you mentioned, Seattle and and uh, and New Orleans, I think those, those teams are going to be tough to beat, but at the same time I mean you know, we've seen it, I think they're going to win their divisions and that's going to help them a lot, and I actually think the NFC is going to come down to those two teams and it just depends where they play, I mean, if you, if, if Seattle has to come into the Superdome and play. It's going to be tough for them to win. Uh, I mean, they have they basically have to uh, have Matt Schaub go all Matt Schaub on them to, to come back against the Texans. Um, you know, as good as that defense is against Drew Brees, I mean, he's going to, he's going to you know do his thing. If it's the other way around and Drew Brees has to go up to Seattle, that's going to be a tough game for him to win. So. Um,
1: yeah, we saw
0: a couple of years ago when you lost to a, a very pedestrian Seahawks team, mm-hmm. at, at, yeah. you know, the the Beast Mode game. And, I mean, granted, that was a different New Orleans team, too, but, I mean, you see you see how uh, it's not called Quest Field anymore. I can't remember what it's called, but we'll just call it Quest Field for, for the heck of it, or Century, Century Link. There we go. Uh that's something where uh, that place is just an incredible equalizer. Like, the greatest offenses going to that place. And, I mean, they just turn to stone. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting because, I mean, not only are those two teams uh, in it to, you know, get high playoff spots, really it, it comes down to both teams. Not only do they want that number one seed, they almost need it. Through. Because, I mean, I, I don't really see any other teams in the NFC knocking them off. You know, I don't see like if, if, if suppose it, like if Atlanta got in, I don't see Atlanta going to Seattle and taking those guys out. I don't see Atlanta going into the Superdome and taking those guys out. And granted, it's different when there's a divisional matchup in place, but it'd be uh, I don't think that Green, Green Bay would go into the Dome and beat those guys. I don't think that Green Bay would go to go to Seattle and beat those guys. And I mean, San Francisco kind of remind, kind of remains a um, a wild card. You know, pardon the, the uh, the pun, but uh, so and I mean the, the NFC East is pretty much, I mean, it, it's already in a box in my opinion. I mean, whoever comes <laughs> out of it is gonna have some real problems. <laughs>
3: they're gonna so, have to get someone in just because, that's the only reason. What's that? I said they're gonna have to get someone in the playoffs just because, and that's the only reason.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, like they just need a, They need a warm body, to, just so they can they can feast on them. So, yeah, I mean, the the thing with Denver is, uh, Denver's obviously much improved from last year in terms of the receiving weapons. I mean, we've seen Wes Walker have a huge impact on those guys. We're still waiting to see what, what's going to happen with their running game. I mean, No. Sean Moreno's looked okay, but you don't know how, how if you can really depend on him for uh, an entire season, let alone a, a postseason. Uh, we don't know what we're going to get with Monty Ball because it seems like he fumbled a lot. You know, he had, a, he had a horrible fumble in that Giants game. He fumbled in the end zone on a sure touchdown. So, just, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because, I mean, nobody thought Baltimore was going to go into that go into mile high last year and beat those guys and really, I mean, and just really put together a fantastic game, came back. Uh, it looked like those guys were were going home in a box, and they managed to to pull it out. So, uh it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, another thing with Denver is their defense, I think, is even better this year, and Von Miller isn't even back yet. We, I, I'm not sure what his status is. I know he keeps having problems. I think he was originally suspended for six games. Mm. So, um, maybe, but, I mean, you're seeing intense pressure uh, from the Broncos in terms of their, their defensive tackles are really getting it done right now. Uh that Derek Wolf guy is unbelievable. I don't know if you've had a chance to really watch him play, but uh he he just really just just wins at the point of attack right now. Uh they're getting great play out of their linebackers. I know uh Treveson hurt himself. I don't know the extent of that injury. Um that would be a big loss for them because that guy's really done great work for them in the second level this year. And their their secondary has been improved and it's kinda of funny to say that they, they added Dominique Rogers Camardi And, I mean, he's actually contributed because he was such a hot mess when he was in Philadelphia. But, I mean, he's gotten it done to the point where they keep talking about bringing Champ Bailey back. I'm not sure why you'd want to. Champ Bailey, you make the case, is the reason they lost in Denver last year in the playoffs to the point where it was like Baltimore made it so clear that they were throwing at that guy. And, I mean, we we know Champ Bailey is just this unbelievable quarterback. I mean, we had – I mean, we've all had the chance to watch him throughout his career, and he's just been unbelievable. He's been one of the best cornerbacks I've ever seen play. But he's also been in the league since 1999, you know, when I was in high school. So now you're, you're seeing it. I mean, he's up there in years, and it's something where um, he's kind of a liability at this point. He's a liability in that game. Torrey Smith took that guy to town so bad that I I was just certain that Bailey was done. So it'll, it'll be really interesting. But here's a, a question to kind of go on top of that. What team in the AFC do you think could knock Denver out if they went to a mile high in the playoffs? Do you think any team has it in them to go out there and take them out?
3: Um, well, I do, actually, and I believe it's a divisional opponent. I do believe, even though I don't think the Chiefs are that overall that good, I think defensively they have what it takes to slow down Peyton Manning because they have the horses that can get to the quarterback uh, you know Justin Houston, Tom Bahali, Don Terry Poe's playing well and they have good coverage guys, they have good safety, they have uh, you know, John Smith out there and while you know, he's played very inconsistently in Miami he matches up well with a guy like Demarius Thomas, a big receiver that he can be physical with um, you know, so they have some. They have the defense, I think, that could could limit what Peyton Manning uh, could do. I, I don't think their offense necessarily w- would be enough, but I do think that defensively they could give
1: that offense
3: fits. And if it's if it was, you know, it, if it's a cold weather game, it's a playoff game, and you know, it, it's cold. There's some. Questionable whether they're, I like, I like their defense defenses chances against that offense, and if they can keep it close, I mean, hey, who knows what that offense could do? So, uh, I think they right now are the best team. I, I think they're the probably one of the best, better defenses in the league that can handle Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos right now, at least in the AFC. Um, I, I'm trying to think of some other teams. Um, the only other team that I know of that I think could go in there and win would be the Patriots just because I think they could, you know, Tom Brady's back good, and he and he would find a way to go out there and, and score on their defense, and that would be kind of a, a shootout that, that he might commit. But, um, what mean, about
1: you? I mean, if,
3: if the I mean, I think to beat the Broncos, you have to be able to take care of them defensively. Um, you know, look at the Ravens were able to contain them for the most part for the first half, and then it, they just kind of collapsed. I think if you have a good defensive team, you can, you know, you you can take away some of the stuff that 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 offense can do. Um, I mean, look at the teams that. That Denver's played this year, aside from the Ravens, which is kind of a, an anomaly. I mean, they've played the Giants, the Eagles, and the Raiders. I mean, not exactly, you know, high quality defenses and high quality teams. And people were raving about, "Oh, look what the Broncos are doing!" But a lot of teams are beating those teams. So, I mean, the the, the Carolina Panthers, who uh, you know nobody thought was going to be that great, uh, you know, lit up the Giants also. So. You know, I think it has to take a good defensive effort to limit that team. And I think there are a handful of good defensive teams in the NFL or in the ASD that could do that. Uh, Strangely enough, I believe the Jets have a a good enough defense to limit what Peyton Manning could do. But their offense is not good enough to put up points. So, you know, you take take the Jets' defense and add in a uh, halfway decent offense and they could, they could be a team that could take the, the Broncos out, um, I, and to me, that's that's just my opinion. I think that's the, I think that's the formula to beat them: is you just, you know, don't try to outscore them, try to stop them, and you have to be able to um, have the right players and right schemes to do it. And I think there's one or two teams in the NS in the AFC, excuse me, that that can do that.
0: I agree. I think the, the Chiefs are probably going to be the biggest threat to den- Denver this season. I think uh, it's always tough with those divisional teams, but I think that they're well-coached right now. Uh, Alex Smith is doing a good job. He isn't making mistakes. Uh, They have a fantastic run game going right now. I mean, Jamal Charles is just getting everything he wants. And then in terms of uh, out of the backfield, he's catching the ball well, too. Uh, They're they're looking – I mean – their receivers are a little bit of a question. I know they've gotten a lot of production out of Donnie Avery, and you always wonder with Dwayne Bowe; he's very inconsistent. But yeah, their defense has been dynamite. And another uh, another guy in there is the Brandon Flowers, who's a little banged up right now, but he's a very very good corner. And yeah, I mean they've just they've got the horses to I mean, uh, to, to stay with those guys. And yeah, you always have to consider the Patriots. Um, the Colts. I mean, I agree because I don't think the Colts can hang defensively. Though I was impressed with what they did in San Francisco a few weeks ago. I think they are getting better in terms of defense. I know they're they're starting to buy into Chuck Pagano's system, uh, but that's something that um, I mean, it's going to have to continue to develop. And I don't know. I don't know if they they have the the goods to do it this season. But I mean, I would have confidence that Andrew Luck would go on the road and play well. So, uh, looking through here. Not really a lot of questions coming in, and I think a little bit later, although we did have, like, that one AM on uh, Sinsider TV episode, a couple of... Uh, let's, uh,
3: along the lines of Denver, if, let's say Miami has to go into Denver and play them in the playoffs. What what would be the biggest issue that Miami has uh, facing them uh, as far as what, what our defense would need to do and what our offense would need? Well, the
2: thing that just
0: out jumps out at me immediately is uh, I would worry about our ability to run the ball in Denver. You saw, I mean, they did a really good job containing uh, LaShawn McCoy on uh, last Sunday, and I feel like it's just tough to get a push against those guys right now. I mean, they're they're incredibly solid against the run. I mean, they're they're fantastic against the run, obviously. And then you'd have to worry about that pass rush too, with the way our offense. I mean, it, here's kind of a question. I don't know if this is fair or not, but is our offensive line playing better at that point.
3: Yes, I mean let's just I mean I'm assuming that if we make the playoffs their offensive line did well enough, I mean Tannehill's gonna still be healthy and not you know, not hurt from getting sacked a bazillion yep. times, so that would um, be like the bizarre situation. We're playing in Denver and
0: Matt Moore's in there because uh our offensive line allowed Ryan Tannehill to get drawn and quartered. Like Braveheart. Yeah. Um, um. Yeah. I would. I um. I don't know. That's it's an awesome question, and I would be I would be thrilled to have an opportunity to do something like that to get Miami in there. Uh, and I mean, if we if we're playing if we're playing in Denver, that means that either we finish the season strong, or, or really we either fin- finish the season strong and we want a playoff game, or we got it as a wild card and we want a playoff game. Uh. So. Um I don't know. They I would I would love to be able to test their secondary. Uh I think that there's there's uh some yards to be had against them right now. Um, and it would just be you know how how polished, how experienced is Tannehill at that point. I mean uh 'cause he's certainly got the guys to do it. I think that uh whereas uh the Denvers had a lot of success with guys like Eric Decker and Wilker and everything. It seems like, you know, Atlanta Hill's really starting to get it going with guys like Hartline, and Gibson. We're waiting on the Walls connection. Hopefully that happens sooner than later. But, I mean, that, that's that's not a great matchup for us. But if we could get some sort of running game going, if we could get Lamar Miller going, you know, if it took passes out of the backfield or if it, you know, if we had to go ahead and um, I, didn't, I can't even consider Daniel Thomas right now. Uh, if we could get that going, I think that we could at least make somewhat of a game of it, but...
3: Um. And, you know, to another question, I mean, it, looking at the AFC landscape, I mean, he's got three, three. you know, it looks, it looks like it's going to be, I mean, the Broncos are in control out there, but the Chiefs look good, the Chargers look improved. Um... The AFC North looks you know, looks rough, but uh, I mean, who knows if those teams can turn it around. The AFC South looks, you know, pretty strong with with two teams that are that are three and one. So what do you think just looking at the AFC landscape, what do you think how do you feel about Miami just from what we've seen in the first four games, um, as being a playoff team? And by playoff team in my opinion is not not the the NFC East type where they're just happy to get and they have have to have somebody in there. I mean, does Miami, in your opinion, look good enough right now to be a team that could earn a spot in the playoffs and could make a run in the playoffs?
0: Uh, I would say yes to both. The only thing that worries me about the playoffs in the AFC East is you have two very – well, you have Kansas City who I think will get in I think that, I mean, um, they're going to come in right under Denver, but, I mean, I, I see them doing it. And then we have to worry about Houston or Tennessee. Those are, in my opinion, those are the, the main uh, competitors for that, that other spot. So, I, I don't know. I think that, I mean, this isn't something where I think if we win ten games, I don't think we're going to get in. <laughs> We've got to be better. That's why that, that lawsuit, and I kind of heard it would have been great to, continue to get momentum but I mean this is the tough part of our schedule and we have to keep it going but we we have to be it's not like a must win but we have to be Baltimore really if we if we're going to even think about the playoffs I mean Tennessee's going to be hurting because I mean they're starting quarterbacks out we'll see how they we'll see how their offense adjusts with Ryan Fitzpatrick in there um but I mean you, there's some I and mean, the AFC is uh scary competitive right now I mean, we'll see what happens with Houston too. I know they're kind of sliding off a little bit, but I mean Indianapolis as well. I mean, someone's got to win that division, and then it's going to be whoever. I mean, I'm I'd be surprised if someone just blew away the rest of the the AFC South. I think it'll probably be someone with a close runner-up. So I don't know. I think the the Dolphins are good enough to make the playoffs. So, I, and I definitely think they're good enough to make a run. Like, if the, I don't think it'd be like a one and done type thing where I'm you know we're just glad to to be in the playoffs. I think that uh, whatever, whoever we're playing in the first round, uh, that person, that team would have to take serious note of who they're playing because I don't think—I mean—I don't think Miami's just a, a gimme bunch.
3: Anything can happen. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm with you know I think Miami can can be a playoff team but I, I still believe they can win the division. Um, yeah, you know, Patriots are weaker now than than they have been, and they still got to play some tough games too. So, I mean, they still have to play uh, the Saints, um, the Broncos. Uh, they have to play the Dolphins. Uh, they get uh, you know a tough Bengals team this week. Um. And and you know now that the Browns are three and two, that loss to the Browns doesn't doesn't look as bad. So, um. You know it's. It's gonna be and I believe the the Patriots haven't played the Ravens already, already
0: they? Yeah. I mean that's something to take note of. I mean they're they're gonna get they're gonna get all the teams we've played in. I mean it's gonna be a tough go of it. I mean they look good in the dome against um Atlanta. I don't think they would beat New Orleans. Um I mean anything could happen. You know, they I mean they they should have lost to Buffalo. So I mean your guess is as good as mine. Uh we're coming up on an hour right now. It's been kind of a slush with all the uh, circumstances that, that went on uh, leading up to tonight's uh podcast. So I'm gonna look to kinda of tie it up here by saying, uh do you guys have any um parting shots, any any sort of comment
2: leading us into uh Sunday's game?
3: James, you go first. <laughs>
2: um I just I just hope that our uh Offensive line keeps uh, Tannehill off the ground this week, and that our defensive line puts their quarterback on his back a few more times. I don't, I don't, I don't recall seeing a, a sack anybody last week, so that's sort of problematic.
0: James, are you concerned about Greg Maddox going to coach the Cubs? I am not. To say manage the Cubs. I always want to say coach, but it's actually manage. It's just like when people say like, "Hey, they had three points in that baseball game." It's like
2: they're not points. No, I'm not. That's, no. We we need to learn to hit around here more than pitch. That pitching is not our problem right now. Do you miss CJ Wilson? I will never miss CJ Wilson.
0: Do you um,
2: do you laugh? CJ Wilson thinking
0: about. You laugh
2: Good. thinking about Josh Hamilton. I, I do because I, I knew that was going to happen. Um, I told uh, some of the, uh, the fans of his new team on our site that that was going to happen, and they were like, oh, no, no. And I'm like, he's not going to be able to handle LA. He could barely handle here. And uh, sure enough, that's what happened. See, he's I mean, that, you want to talk apart. about someone
0: who needs to- you want to talk about someone who needs to play for a green franchise is Josh Hamilton.
2: Where yeah, I mean, he he, he was, was good here because the community sort of embraced him, and the, the fans here are much more mild than what he's going to get out in California. They're, they're really, you know, they, they were real sympathetic to his issues. Out there, they don't care. I mean, they don't care who you are. If you don't play up to their expectations, they're going to take shots.
0: Are Angels fans the most style fans in baseball in your opinion?
2: um I would I would think so. Um I, ironically, um I was on the uh the uh, site the SDM Nation site for the Rangers the night that, that uh that poor guy fell when Hamilton tried to toss him the ball, they got it, it was a firefighter, you know, was there with his son and he fell and, and, and was killed. And you know, fans are coming from all sorts of sites coming over, Yankees, you name it, they're coming over there and giving the condolences. And there were probably a good eight eight to ten Angels fans that showed up that had the worst things. You know, I mean just disgusting things to say when somebody just lost their life. So I uh they're kinda now my, my Jets version of baseball fans.
0: Oh man. Uh, Duke, what about you? Oh, um,
3: well, the Red Sox won today. That's always good.
0: Um, they didn't just win; they, I mean, they annihilated Tampa Bay. I mean,
3: they, they eviscerated those guys. The uh, it all started with that weird play in the outfield, but um, there must have been a wind or something blowing in uh, from the outfield because every time a Red Sox player would crush one off the bat it would somehow die before it got to the wall. I was like, that, that's crazy. Because these guys were hitting hitting the ball and I mean, yeah, they got the green monster and everything and mm-hmm. but still that's a that's a short short left field and um I can't remember who it was, but like it was might have been I think I don't know if it was Napoli or someone crushed one off the it looked like it was, you know, gonna end up on uh, out of the park and it somehow bounced off the wall. I was like,
2: good gracious that's
3: yeah, that, was, that was pretty. Man, good. History, I,
2: but, I miss Napoli. You know, the fans had um, a chant for him when he would when he would come up to a bat here, and it started on the radio station. But they would chant "Nap, Nap, nap, nap Wiener. I don't know why. I don't know where that started, but uh, I wonder if he misses that out there. Well, do
0: some, listen. I, I realize it's a football podcast, but it is a uh, baseball playoff, exciting time. Uh, do you? I'll do some quick hits here. Uh, any chance Boston doesn't go to the World Series.
3: Oh yeah. I mean I mean, I think they're gonna get by Tampa Bay, but um I mean I, I, I haven't watched the A's so I don't really know a lot about that team, but I do know that the Tigers have, have a a decent offense and have some good pitching, so good pitching can always can always get you in in the playoffs. So um I, I mean it I don't, know about the other, like I, said, I don't know about the other teams, but it, it's very possible that they, they could run up against a, a good pitching team and, and and get shut down.
0: Pittsburgh was blown out yesterday. They come back and they blow out the Cardinals today, 7-1. Now they're going back to Pittsburgh with a chance to, to get up on those guys and, and really take control of that series. Do you
3: think the Pirates can pull the upset? uh yeah i think so i mean again i don't I, I don't know a whole lot about their team but um it seems it seems like to me and, and i could be completely wrong about this but that the cardinals have a, a have a couple of good pitchers but i don't know about the back end of their rotation so i mean i don't know how i don't know how they're going to do the series if they're going to get back around to to right, and uh, i don't even know who pitched today um but yeah, I mean, I think this, the the, uh, the Steelers. I do think the Pirates can uh, can uh, can win that. I, I read something interesting mm-hmm. um, the other day, and I'm not sure where, but it said that the last time that the Pirates were in mm-hmm. the uh, made the, the playoffs, the the Dolphins also made the playoffs that year, and they started out their season. Uh, they started out this season beating the Browns, uh at Cleveland I believe. Which is interesting that, that it all kind of it all kinda of came together like that this year too, but um maybe that's a good sign. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's uh it's exciting and to be honest with you, we were talking about uh teams that should be doing better, teams like, you know, the Browns and uh Because it's fun to see I uh, I it's fun to see fans uh, dedicated fans like that really having something to cheer for. And it sounds kind of dumb and rah-rah, but I really believe that's true. And I remember uh, before the Browns were sold, and I'm sure this still goes on, They don't really. I feel like they don't show it as much, but do you guys remember, you know, the dog pound in Cleveland, those guys who oh, were yeah. dressed like dogs and eating Alpo and oh, oh, yeah. all that? I mean, like, as ridiculous and disgusting as that was, it, there's an element of awesome in that. Not in the dog food eating part, of course, but the fact that, I mean, it's <laughs> it plays into the whole intimidation part of it. I mean, that's, I mean, do you really want to go to a place where it's you know, it's freezing cold, you're out by the lake, and you've got just insane fans like that? I mean it's kinda of like playing out in Oakland when that team's good and you have you know, you know, people dress like Star Wars characters or they're wearing the Legion of Doom pads. You know, I mean you have no idea. You could be in the company of uh, uh multiple sociopaths there. And I mean and they I mean they're they're screaming for their team to to hear head off. So the reason I bring that up is uh, out in Pittsburgh when they were doing that that wild card game the other night, uh, that crowd was rocking, man. And that's pretty cool to see because I've never seen a Pittsburgh Pirates crowd have any life whatsoever. You know, and and I mean, like, in fairness to them, they haven't really had much to cheer for. I mean, that team has been, I mean, doormat doesn't even really describe it. I mean, that team has just been just, ah, man, is really roadkill the last 20 years. I mean, they've been bad, and then they've been worse. And, they, I mean, they yeah, have I mean, a nice part and everything. <laughs> so it's cool it's cool to see them doing well. And I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that game on Sunday because that place is going to be rocking.
3: And, and who would have thought Sid Breen would have destroyed that franchise? It was, it, um, and, I, I mean, I'll have to go back and watch it again, but I, it seems to me that he was still out on that play. Um, yeah. But, uh, he, was he was out to me, but anyway... Along those lines, I always like it when you know you have these kind of these fan bases that are always down. Their team never wins. When they do have something to cheer for, um, I always like it to come at the expense of kind of entitled fan bases. Uh, you know, oh, you mean like Cleveland? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're good, but and, and they're going to do this thing, but eventually they're going to be, you know, they're going to have to come back to earth. Hopefully it's this year, but I love it when when you know when the Steelers are zero and four and look like garbage, because you know you go to you go to other websites and you read these comments and it's like these fans are like oh, we're the Steelers, you know. It's just like this. You just get this. They're like this entitled. Like they're so much better than everyone. And when a team comes out and just looks like crap, and the Browns are leading that division, I love it. It's kind of you know just the ultimate comeuppance, I guess. It's just you know.
0: I love this most most entitled fan base in the NFL. You two go. Um, I, I'm going to say the Steelers. Yes, yeah, Steelers. You have, you have to make sure to call them the Stillers like they do out out there. Steelers. James hates the state of Pennsylvania, so I'm not surprised by his answer.
3: <laughs> and, and, and I'll tell you that uh, I went to a, an Appalachian football game a few years ago, and their colors are the same as the, the Steelers. And, and um, and th- there's some guy that almost right in front of me, uh, just a couple of spots over, and he was a big Steelers fan. And this was this was the week after the ridiculous June stare It was a fumble, but we couldn't see that Randy Starks recovered it. Uh, Played, cost us that game. And this guy just kept going on about. Um, he would say Stiller stuff all the time, and they would announce the scores, and they always announce um, FCS scores. So they mentioned, I think, William and Mary, which is where Mike Tomlin went. And he's like, William and Mary, that's Mike Tomlin, all this stuff. And if I had had a ball bat, I would have split his skull open. I was so mad. <laughs> and, I, I was, and it made oh, me worse because I was oh, he, he was. You know, and I realized he was drunk, so I was like, "This, you know, just shut up, dude." And eventually, he left. But I was like, he just he just kept going on and on about the Steelers, and of course, it was right after the Dolphins lost too. And I wanted to wring his neck so bad. I, looking back, I wish the Dolphins had won that game because I would have said something to him about the Dolphins. But I couldn't say anything, and that just made it worse. Like I can't say anything because he's gonna throw that back in my face. did lose in
0: the Super Bowl that year, so I mean, you know, vengeance, yeah. vengeance is a bitch. You know. And
3: they've not, uh, they've not been, I don't think they've been successful since, have they?
0: No, I mean, I don't know who I would pick as the most entitled fan base, and I, I mean, there needs to be a separation between most entitled fan base and fan base, like, not stand most, because that's going to go to New England. Those people, and like, we always make the joke about the, and, and I mean, we can't take credit for this. I got it from someone's comment at of all places, Finn's nation. But that one guy who said he was at the Ronnie Brown game, the Wildcat game, at uh, <laughs> in Foxborough, and said like, you know, they, I think it was, it was after the first touchdown, and I think it was the second one, but it said that Ronnie Brown went back to take the snap, and it, there's just a hush because these people are stunned. I mean, they're getting pummeled by this Dolphins team that was not very good. In fact, they were I, I think we were. Uh, I think we were zero and two at that point, weren't we? Yeah, yeah, and uh, he's taking taking
3: them by the Cardinals.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, ugh, that game, I forgot about that one. And uh, so, like, and I'll clean it up a little bit, but so there's like a hush over this this uh, this Patriots crowd, and Ronnie Brown goes back to get the ball, and he's just like this one random drunk Patriots fan is like.
3: There's
0: no quantum of the heck out there. And he just, and he just takes the, he takes it. It's funny with the F word, which is in there. But he, and he said, like he just takes, he took the snap and just ran with it, and, and like, the entire Patriots crowd could not understand what was happening, which delights me to no end.
3: <laughs> I mean,
0: I, mean, I, it's I love funnier.
2: it. It is funnier. when you use the uh, the the unedited version.
0: Oh yeah, the f bomb in there is better, but I like, I can't in a good. Game. I mean, I don't want to sound Kevin, but I'll, we all know I like to use that word. But um, <laughs> I would. Uh, my distaste for the the Stillers comes from way back. Do you remember those Sports Illustrated commercials where they'd be selling, you know, with their subscription you can get your like your favorite team's blanket or some hat or some crap. <laughs> uh, yeah. And they had. I remember this. It had to be, like, in 1995 or so. It was probably, like, uh, 11. And they had this commercial. It's like, NFL fans, who is your favorite team? And it cuts to this, these, these cut scenes of all these fans, and most of them you could tell are drunk. And one guy's like, Cowboys. And, it's, and I remember the next guy over is this enormous Pittsburgh Steelers fan. he's like, Steelers. And I remember hearing that and thinking, I hate that fan base.
3: <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, not stand well. And the
0: third the third guy was the forty ers And the funny thing about it is he had like this like satin baseball jacket on and this this mullet that would have made uh, George Seifert proud. You know, just the, <laughs> that stupid, cool Northern California look. It's probably I don't know. Uh, I
3: couldn't
0: well, get over it.
3: Well the the thing about, you know, different different fan bases is I mean the thing that stands out about the steelers is that it, it, they seem to be everywhere i mean i will randomly find a, a 49ers fan or some other fan you know that can can, can be obnoxious but if steelers fans are obnoxious but they're everywhere and they're obnoxious i mean it's like it, they're inescapable so the fact that they're 0 and four I, I see you know i see cars drive around town that have steelers stuff on them and I love it that they're 0-4. It's kind of like you just, I don't know, yeah, I just want to bring it up to them. They're like, hey, how's the Steelers doing this year? You know, just, just to rub it in their face. It and is, of it is we'll. wonderful. As soon as and they mean, do that, they'll go 12-0 uh, for the rest of the year, finish 12-4 and 4 or something. So I need to wait until they're, they completely bottom out and then bring that up.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know who, you know, fan base is starting to get on my nerves real quick is uh, Denver's. Of course, I I, I suspect they've added a few members in the past, uh, oh, I don't know, 16 months. But uh, I'm thoroughly, I don't know, I've I've never been a big Broncos uh, supporter. I really dislike John Elway. Uh, So, yeah, it's just kind of something where, and and, I mean, I'm glad they're playing. I mean, it's cool that they're playing well. I'm not going to lie, I'm not glad, even though I kind of just said that, Uh. Uh, I don't know I'm trying to think of uh, other fan bases That really annoy me I feel like if I lived out west The 49ers would get on my nerves But I'm not out there So alas uh, My great uncle's an enormous Bolts fan He loves the Chargers And I think he might be the only one uh, I've seen well, their games.
3: <laughs> And what I don't like about I don't mind Fan bases so much Just I, I, it's, it's the type of fan I don't like these fans that are like that don't know anything about the game. They just like that team and no matter what you say, you're wrong because that's their team and you know,
2: um
0: we get well, you a just lot defined of, the jet, you realize that, yeah.
2: Well, yeah, but uh, I mean, I've got I I've, I've got one for you. LSU fans and Bama fans, they're both pretty bad. Well, well I, I, a, a, that, I got a
0: funny story about it. Because I don't live in the South, uh, I don't know, obviously I, I live up in the Chicagoland area. But uh, my parents were down in Alabama for a wedding. This would have been still. This would have been in the Bear Bryant, Bear Bryant era. They were at a wedding, and the wedding had just started, and they said that the the father of the groom, right after this wedding starts. I mean, they're in the middle of doing their um their speeches and everything, and the father of the groom stands up, and he's like,
3: let's get all this game over with. Bama's on in 10 minutes.
0: He <laughs> thinks, like, his daughter, it's his, it's his son's wedding. And I mean, and he was just like, let's
3: get all this talk on over with. He's like, the totter on in 10 minutes.
0: And, I mean, like, it's... And I, I think part of it is I cannot fathom how rabid those people are down there for football. I mean, granted, they live in a state where they don't have uh, a professional team. And so, I mean, you'll you'll find that uh, college sports will definitely take more of a priority there. But that, that story, whenever I hear about Bama fans, I always think about that story. People were willing to cut their, their children's wedding short so they could go watch the Crimson Tide play.
2: That's pathetic.
0: I love that yeah. story. I really do.
3: Well, I was listening to uh, it was something on ESPN the other day. I, it was at the Colin Cowherd show, and it was it was on the radio, and and he was talking about something. He, he had said something bad about Alabama, and he brought up a a clip of someone who had called into another radio show, someone from Alabama, and it. I mean, I know I sound like a hick, but oh Lord, this was just embarrassing, and. I was like, Man, these people are just crazy. But, but yeah, I've, you know we get a lot
1: of the
3: we get a lot of the Duke and Carolina stuff around here, and you know you'll get some logical fans on the stuff. But there's a lot of them that are just like, you know, Carolina rules. And you start talking, to them and they don't know anything. They don't. You know, they know the players' names and stuff. But that I'm to say, man, that guy he's really good at shooting threes. And like, he's a center. He doesn't shoot threes. But they don't know that. It's just because it's their favorite team, and they like them. And so if you talk bad about them, then they, they automatically hate you. And, you know, that's what it is about some NFL franchises I just don't like. They, you know, you say anything bad about their team, they somehow flip around where you're just wrong because you don't talk bad about their team. And just, those are the fans that just annoy me. I mean, it's it's different. I mean, when you're talking about a crappy team like the Browns, or a team that's been bad like the Browns and they, you know, um, you know, they they start talking about their team you're like you just kinda of feel sympathy for them, but not these other fan bases. Just,
0: What's your favorite fan base outside of obviously the one you you're involved in? My favorite fan base? Yeah, just the one where you look in and you're like, oh and
2: I respect that. I like those guys.
3: Um
1: I'm going to say I like
3: um, – it's going to take
0: a minute to think about this. While you're thinking, uh, I would probably – the most respect I, I have would probably be for Seahawks fans. I think that Seattle as a whole as a sports city is fantastic, and I think it's a total crime that they took their basketball team away from them because, I mean, they're just rabid up there. The fan base that fascinates me the most, uh, believe it or not, Vikings fans, because I suspect that all of them are drunk. Usually, when you when they show them <laughs> up in the Metrodome, they all look liquored up. But I mean, they're having a blast, man. Like I don't know why. I have a one of my good buddies is a Vikings fan, and like I'm just sometimes I just ask him questions. You know, what's it? What it? What is it like to be a Vikings fan? And after he tells me it's terrible, he'll, he'll go ahead and he's just like, ah, eh, you know, you, you can go to games. Everyone has a good time. You go in there. Uh, you don't really get hassled a lot. So I I don't know, the the Vikings fan base is always, always fascinating for some reason. And one thing that I just actually thought of is when we're talking about entitled fan bases, we forgot about the Cowboys. So
2: I don't know, man, the the fan base here, you know, cuz I listen to sports radio here all day long, they pretty much uh they're pretty much down on the Cowboys all the time. They don't easy well, to now. Uh, I I'm talking
0: about uh the line. I mean, it's just like I'd expect the Stillers fans to be down now. I mean, you're not going a lot there's,
2: of there's, there's still a huge contingent of, you know, it's mostly older folks, but the old school Cowboy fans that will not root for the Cowboys to this day because Jerry Jones fired Tom Landry. There's people that are still not over that. And not That's not amazing. a few of them. There's a lot of them.
0: Yep. So, that, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, you know, and Hank Hill probably would have been one of them. <laughs> just like, uh, yeah, just like Homer Simpson, wanted his <laughs> favorite had too, you know. Uh, I I have great it, respect it, for the Cowboys, but and you know, maybe it's it's different. I, we have a lot of Cowboys fans up here, believe it or not, and I want to run over all of them. I mean, they are they are unbelievable, and it's I kind think- of I don't know if maybe the maybe the further they get. Or I should say the farther they get from the, the overall hive, maybe uh, the more obnoxious they get. You
2: no, know, and I was gonna say that I've met people from out of town that are Cowboys fans and they're freaking annoying as hell. The ones around here, yeah, they're not, you know, they're fine. They're you know they're just you know, a lot of them are diehards, but but they're not they're not unrealistic, you know, think think so, that anything's owed to them.
0: Well, yeah, most so of it's us, kind most of interesting are, how that's that, how that dynamic works. And then the, the other interesting thing is, that, I mean, there's a lot of myths out there. Well, I should say there's a lot of um, like statements out there about certain fan bases. You hear about Philadelphia fans being crazy, and they are. That's true. Uh, I know a couple of Eagles fans, and uh, they, an Eagles game, can. I mean, they're the nicest people, and uh, an Eagles game will turn them into the criminal element. I mean, it is unbelievable.
2: That's true. in Cleveland too.
0: Yeah. Uh, you see, Cleveland's a great. City. I mean, the point thing is, Cleveland's a great sports city. I mean, really. I mean, it's something where I mean, it really brings them together. I mean, it's it's a not a spectacular city by any means. And I like Cincinnati as a sports city too. Um, the Queen City, if you will. Uh, I don't. I'm trying to think here. I. I'm told that the Titans have. I've never met a Titans fan, but I'm told that their fans are pretty cool. I've never met a I, I've never met a Jaguars fan either. Well, there's, there's
2: only there's, there's only six of them, so your odds are pretty low, sir.
3: Well, I know I know I know uh, at least one third of those six fans because my brother and his best friend are Jaguars fans, but they. They have already texted me this year and said they are becoming free agent fans and may choose the dolphins, so Wow I'm getting, Jeff, I'm getting Jeff Ireland on that.
0: Yeah yeah, exactly. They they better pay pay the new fan fee like the, Jeff uh, Ireland the I,
3: place. I have a to compound on your Cowboys story. Uh, I was uh this was right after the Hall of Fame fan. And my wife was on Facebook. And she showed me a picture of some Cowboys fan, one of her friends on Facebook had put up a picture of a Cowboys logo and it had the Dolphins logo. It looked like it was chopped up in, I guess, little bits or something. I was like, it's stuff like that that drives me nuts. I'm like, seriously, this was a glorified scrimmage that nobody cares about and you're bragging about it? I don't know. It's, See, I've got a friend, friend who does like
0: that, too. My my friend's a diehard Bears fan. and when they, I think the Bears and Dolphins played in the Hall of Fame game. I think it was about eight years ago, maybe. And uh, uh, the, I think the Bears won that. And he was like talking all the smack after the game. And I was just like, What's wrong with you? Like, everyone no, was
2: like, I, I, I had a friend of mine text me and go, How did you like? They said something about how did you like that outcome. And I said, I made some smart ass comment about how I was really affected by the fact that their, their team of players that will no longer be in the NFL on starting day. Was able to beat our team of players. Will no longer be in the NFL on starting day. That really, you know, shook me up. Is there any,
0: anything more depressing than the Hall of Fame game? In that you get all excited because it, it marks the the start of preseason football, and then you look and realize that you the two teams you're watching are playing in a stadium that holds like 2,000 people.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and you look up and so, you're like, oh man, it's gonna be a long, it's gonna be another month until we get to start.
2: In Texas, in in Texas, Texas, that wouldn't even qualify as a decent high school stadium. I mean, they have like no, no, exactly.
0: Some of those those high schools look like they might as
2: well look like the Vic house in Ann Arbor. There's there's high school stadiums here that I can tell you I've been to. You know, I've been to stadiums. You know, in Orlando, I've been to Georgia Tech Stadium. I've been to a lot of different stadiums. There's high school stadiums here that are far nicer than a lot of college stadiums. I don't know. so that's yeah, not really depressing. depressing. Uh, um, you think that the they like, do do something with your stadium.
0: You know, I, I I hate to say this. I really hate to say this. I'm gonna gouge my eyes out afterward, but a fan base I had a lot of respect for is Buffalo. Those guys I mean, granted, it was at our expense a lot of time, but going to four Super Bowls and losing all of them, and literally playing for championships and coming away with nothing, absolutely with nothing. And, I mean, those guys just stick it. They wear their ugly Buffalo Bills uh, sweaters, and they go to games and they freeze their ass off. And, I mean, like I, I, do, I have a lot of respect for that fan base, especially because uh, Buffalo, New York, Uh, not really a place to write home about. So, yeah. Now, now I have to have to look the fact that I said that. This is good. I've enjoyed this. I just want to talk
3: about it. I don't understand what you're talking about. I mean, I appreciate passionate fan bases that, that, you know, stick by their team good or bad. I mean, you know, you look at a Broncos team that that was yeah, didn't win very much, but, you know, kind of an eight-and-eight-top team, and then suddenly Peyton Manning takes over, and now all these fans come out of the woodwork. and You know, you, I, I, I agree with you. I appreciate fan bases. that are like, you know what, I want to show up and pull for my team, you know, regardless of how good or bad they are. And, you know, and I agree, you know, looking at fan bases I like, like you mentioned, the Seahawks, you know, teams. Uh, franchise like the, the Trailblazers, you know, that have, they're really passionate fans about about their team that they care so much about. You know, it. it you know, that, those are the fan bases that you like because, you know, they may not, they maybe some of them are obnoxious, but a lot of them just, they just love their team. You know, they're not. I don't know. That's all I'm gonna say. About it. Well,
0: here's my final question of the night. What coach in the NFL right now deserves most to get fired? Greg Schiano. Oh, you, yeah. I, I was, that's the guy I had in my head the whole time, and I was wondering if I was going to say it.
3: I mean, Winner, he's just, he's a, he, he's just, I don't know. He, he's trash, mommy. I mean, he's, well, oh, he's a bully. You know what he
0: reminds me of? He's the real life version of uh, John Goodman's character in *Revenge of the Nerds*. That's all he is. Like he—he he is just a just an aggressive bully out there. And I—I I mean, like I'm just—I'm not impressed. I'm really not. Well, Clearly, neither is the team, because there's about yeah, to be some mutiny on that pirate ship.
3: Yeah, and, and you know, I think that—I think he's going to get fired. I mean, they're going to have to turn turn out quick. which you kind of. In my opinion you kinda of saw this coming when they did that, you know, the attacking the Giants on the kneel down thing. I mean that's that's Bush league, man. I mean that's that's what you do when you're playing, you know, rec league football against a bunch of jerks that you hate. You know, that's not something you do in professional football. And you know, he can bring up all the stuff how it worked in college or whatever. And that it it never works. All right. It, it just doesn't. That was just that was just a, a classless move in my opinion. And it's all gone downhill there. I mean, Josh Freeman probably, you know, as soon as they said, as soon as he found out he was released, he probably went out, you know, singing the Pointer Sisters, I'm so excited. And, and, you know, just dancing out of of that place just to get out of there. And, 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 you know, poor, poor Daryl Rivas, seems like that, you know, bad locker rooms and, and drama just follows him around. So, um, it's like who would have thought that he leaves the Jets and they they somehow become a better locker room, but um yeah, that, that guy's that guy's out and he will not be back on the NFL team
0: ever. Do fan. you think that uh Josh Freeman got a raw deal?
3: Well, I mean, I think he was you know, I don't know what all was going on. He started dropping off after Siano got there and it seemed like he, he just kept going and kept going. I think he's a guy that can go to another team and, and be developed. Um, and I, I read some stuff on Twitter that, that people said the best franchises for him to go to would be like the 49ers or Green Bay where he can sit, be a backup, learn under some good coaches, learn, uh, you know, how to be a better quarterback. And that way, you know, in a couple of years, he can go back out there and try to be a starter and people say, okay, like, hey, you know, he he plays for Green Bay. We'll kind of trust him to, to be a little bit more improved now. Um, but, yeah, I, I think he kind of got, got back a little bit on, 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 on that deal in Tampa Bay.
2: See, I'm here in Oakland. Which, are, which that's, a, that's what I read, that he was going to Oakland.
0: That, because, I mean, like, they they could
2: certainly yeah, – because, I mean,
0: the thing is, Oakland's doing some some good things right now. The only, the only thing they did that was bad was sign Matt Flynn. Uh <laughs> I mean that was a, I mean that guy, oh boy, uh, but you look, I mean, they've they're starting to put it together a little bit on defense. You can tell like they're starting to work toward, okay, this is what we want our identity to be. Now we're working toward that. You can see that from them, which is a good thing. Uh, their their offense is still, I mean, they have some good receivers. Uh, Denarius Moore is a lot of fun to watch, and I mean like Darren McFadden when he's not when he's not hurt, which is always. Uh, good player. So I mean, I like some of the things they're doing right now, and I'm excited to see how how they progress. I mean, like I maybe Josh Freeman helps out a little bit. I mean, like I mean football is not a plug and play sport, so it's not like he just goes there. It's like when they when they traded their lives away for Carson Palmer a few years ago, and people thought he was just going to go there and dominate immediately. Not the case.
3: Yeah, I mean to me, what happened with Josh Freeman down there in Tampa Bay? It seems like that. I mean, imagine. Imagine if the Dolphins drafted Ryan Tannehill, and, and we, we traded Marshall. But we kind of understood why, and Hardline stepped up. But imagine this year, all right, they didn't go out and sign Wallace. They let Hardline walk, and instead they picked up I don't know, just somebody off the street. I'm just name any garbage receiver. Uh, you know, they. It seems to me that they just did not care about building around him at all, and they just kind of like, you know what? You've got these players who go out there and make something happen. They work on building that defense, but it just seems like they never tried to build around him. I mean, they went out and got Vincent Jackson, yeah, but I mean, I don't know. It, it, I don't know. It just seemed like they they wanted to to uh, they they set it up for him to fail. And I think if he does go out to, to Oakland, he can he can have some success there because I don't think the expectations will be as high. And I think that he will actually finally get some decent coaching. I mean, I don't know, I'm just not a fan of Shiano, and hopefully he'll get some, you know, known in college and rot there.
0: Yeah, he. You know, I don't know. Whatever. I think he kind of. I I thought from the beginning that he kind of came off as a scumbag. So, well, I mean, we did we did parking shots and then we did another half hour. That's the magic of this show. Uh, I'm gonna tie it up now because we're right on the we're at the 92 minute mark, and frankly, that's Ninety two more minutes than anyone should have to spend with me. So, uh, we're going to go ahead and tie it up. Uh, thank you to, uh, my good friends Duke and James tonight for uh, participating in the show. Uh, while I uh, stood in for Kevin, uh, you guys can uh, check us out at, uh, com and thank you for joining us tonight.
1: Good night, gentlemen. my name is
0: spencer hall my name is jason kirk my name is ryan nanny and when we combine we form the, the shutdown, shutdown Fullcast. Fullcast. Fulltron. i keep telling you we're not voltron the shutdown forecast is technically a college football podcast but it's also a show about lawn care disasters regional grocery stores we love tennessee batman homeowners associations It's not Voltron.